Today, I welcome back now partner Mike DeBernardis from the Hughes Hubbard Firm. We take a look at his thoughts on regulatory enforcement and oversight in 2021 and going forward. This is Bart Peterson, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. The FCPA Compliance Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode, and I'm extraordinarily pleased to have now partner Mike DeBernardis at Hughes Hubbard uh, join me for our quarterly review. Typically, we take a look at uh, the past three months in the FCPA realm, but there's been really a dearth of FCPA cases. So I asked Mike if we could maybe expand out a little bit and talk about uh, some other areas of his white collar practice and more importantly, what his clients might be interested in hearing about. So Mike, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, first of all, welcome and thanks so much for taking the time to visit with me today. You know, Tom, when you're talking about me, the introduction never seems long-winded. So I (laughs) I appreciate it. (laughs) No, I'm, I'm, uh, Happy to be here and looking forward to the discussion. Maybe uh, I'd start with what are some of the top three areas that either you or the firm or, or your section are really counseling clients to be aware of under the new Biden administration uh, for the next few years? And, and sort of going back to the well, the, the FCPA is not going anywhere. I know uh, Q1 has started pretty slow. It's been we've had 15 years plus of of solid FCPA enforcement. Uh, and I, I think a, a three-month period is, is just too short to make any sort of, uh, of judgments on. I, I really, you know, it, it's, it's, I think it's a, the, the lack of major cases is a product of, you know, change in administration, new people coming in. There was a, there was a, you know, a, a bunch of flurry of activity at the end of 2020. So we're really not reading anything into that. And we're really our counseling clients, to be very uh, cautious about the FCPA. I think uh, the Biden administration is fully committed uh, to continuing aggressive enforcement of the FCPA. The leadership he's put in place it, it appears very committed. And, and I really think and what we're warning clients about is as, as we start to, to come out of this pandemic and people get vaccinated and we get people back in the offices and really start to travel again, we could see an explosion of uh, of enforcement activity from cases that have sort of been progressed as far as they can be progressed, uh, you know, without traveling and going on site to, to places. Um, and uh, you know, this we've had now a year, more than a year of a remote work environment where it has been it has been far more difficult for compliance personnel uh, to to monitor and to sort of keep tabs on their people um, and a lot of financial pressures at, at, at many companies that, that came along with the, the economic impact of the pandemic. Uh, and all of that is, is really is a perfect storm uh, for FCPA issues and, and enforcement. So uh, really looking probably towards the, the second half of this year for that to pick up a lot. The, the second area uh, is more traditional F, uh, sorry, SEC enforcement, accounting fraud, insider trading, and, and that those types of things. I think uh, part of that comes with a, a new leadership there that that is uh, well, we expect to take a more aggressive enforcement uh, approach. 
and, and part of it also relates back as everything does these days to the pandemic. Uh, and I think at least initially we'll, we'll, we're, we're counseling clients. Um, you're going to see some activity around uh, statements made during the pandemic about financial health, uh, accounting practices during the pandemic, how, how different things have been accounted for, loans, that sort of thing. I, I think the SEC will be busy uh, on those issues, at least initially. Uh, and the, the third area I think really to, to look out for and we're counseling clients on is the area of sanctions and sanctions violations and, and evasion. Uh, you know, Biden, at least so far, appears to be willing to use economic sanctions and some of these other tools, such as the entity list, in a similar manner as the Trump administration. Uh, you know, it, that really comes into play when they're dealing with, with Russia or China and these entities. What that means is the lists are constantly changing. Uh, and there's, there's going to be regular attention because those lists are only as valuable as, uh, as the enforcement uh, of them is. So, um, for companies that are, you know, dealing with, with entities in China or Russia regularly, uh, or, or even irregularly, you've got to be vigilant about keeping a close eye on the, on the different lists and what restrictions might be in place. Cause I think we'll see, uh, we'll see regular and, and continued enforcement in that space. And then if, if I can cheat a little bit and just add a, a quick note on one other thing, and that's, you know, cybersecurity, I think is, is, has become just such a, such a, a, uh, hot topic issue. It is not a, uh, an area that I, that I focus on. Um, but I, I feel like that's an area where we're getting more and more questions from clients and passing them on to colleagues. Uh, and, and I think, the interesting thing about cybersecurity, when you talk cybersecurity investigations, enforcement, is that it could come, it could come from, you know, many different places. The SEC, uh, you know, has a you know a task group, working group focused on it. You, you can you can see it coming from from other agencies, the FTC, the FCC. You know, so um, it, it really can come from a lot of places. But that's an area I know that clients are very concerned about. In addition to the, the areas that you've talked about, Mike, uh, I've also read and seen uh, lots of announcements from other federal agencies that indicate that they may be taking a more aggressive stance. And I specifically point to the FTC or Federal Trade Commission, the CFPB, the CFTC, where uh, I think the new administration has made clear that they will have more robust enforcement. But maybe start with the FTC because they seem to be indicating they're going to take a much more aggressive stance and antitrust and anti-competitiveness, I see that as almost a direct tie to the FCPA. But how are, are you counseling clients around these agencies that may ramp up their uh, oversight and enforcement? If we talk generalities first, I think you're spot on. Uh, it, it was the last four years have been unique for for a lot of uh, uh, for a lot of people who work in enforcement at these agencies. Uh, you, you you had an administration who was explicitly de-emphasizing enforcement. Um, and so, at, you know, you can imagine that that creates a, a very interesting situation if you're, you know, an investigator at the CFPB or the FTC or, or whatever it may be. Uh, and we're coming out of that now, and, and you're absolutely right. Everything we hear is, uh, this is going to be, we're going to go back towards o- Obama-era enforcement uh, policies with respect to these agencies. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not an, I'm not an ex- antitrust expert, but 
we have certainly been getting questions and talking to people about, you know, the, 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 the FTC, at least we, we believe is sort of taking an expansive view of its, of its role in antitrust, uh, anti-competitiveness enforcement. So see, supposed to see an uptick, uptick there. I think at the CFPB, you're going to see a full reset of their enforcement because that, that one in particular, uh, was a, was a popular target of the, the prior administration. Uh, and I, I think we're really going to see a ramp up there. One, one interesting, uh, agency I really think is, is the CFTC and it'll be interesting to see, um, where they go, you know, in 2019, they, they made a you know policy announcement that, you know, Hey, we're going to dip our toe into the anti-corruption waters as well when it involves, you know, commodities trading, uh, and then in 20, 2020, December, we saw, you know, Vital, uh, the CFTC was involved. I, I'm, I'm interested, uh, and, and certainly clients who are affected were, were war- warning them uh, to see where that goes. Because I, I, I don't think there's any expectation that the Biden administration would move away from that stance. And so if anything, we, we're, we're looking uh, to see more, of, more involvement of the CFTC in, in corruption-related uh, uh, investigations. So is there any sort of general guidance you're, you're giving clients other than, you know, be vigilant, documentation, perhaps uh, internal oversight on matters, uh, more matters, or how do you really help counsel a client uh, with what you know at this point? You know, it really depends. I, one of the things we've been suggesting is if, if, if you believe, as we do, that these agencies are kind of doing a reset uh, from the last four years and saying, all right, let's start over, let's reprioritize then maybe it makes sense for the company to do the same. And so, you know, have a, have a training session, sit down, Hey, hey let's do a reset on what our, our obligations are, what, what our expectations are with respect to compliance. You know, I don't expect that, that many of my clients have, have gotten, uh, have gotten lazy over the last four years or, or less vigilant, but it's sometimes helpful uh, when, it, it presents a helpful opportunity, right? When you have the enforcers kind of doing their own reset to, to take the, take the opportunity yourself and say, all right, let's, let's kind of start fresh, kind of do a, a, a full refresher course on what our obligations are. Let's take a fresh look at what our controls are. Are they working? Do we have the right documentation in place in anticipation of this pickup and enforcement? There was an article uh, this week on the FCPA blog, and I'm sorry, I can't remember the author, but he talked about, what is risk-based training? And it seemed to me you've just articulated that. The risks have changed. So perhaps now it's time and it's not we're in a new geographic market or uh, competitors or customers or sanctions, but really with government oversight. And that could be a changed risk. And so that would be, uh, as you said, an appropriate time uh, to come in and reemphasize it. Does do you or the firm, do you really act to maybe train the trainers? So you might train the corporate legal department or a compliance department and then they may fan out throughout the organization and uh, give uh, training to those high-risk employees? Yeah, for sure. I mean, one of the things we've been doing a lot recently, Tom, is um, is talking to the to the executive teams and the, the corporate legal departments about these emerging risks and, and how we expect uh, enforcement to change over the next four years. So to, to help them do exactly what you just described, let's, let's, uh, you know, kind of, kind of do a reset on our, our risk assessment here and, and find out where the risks are. Uh, and the follow on to that is often, Hey, if we're going to train, uh, you know, this specific group of employees on these risks, 
what topics do we need to cover? And, and sometimes it goes as far as, you know, can you provide us some materials to help us, uh, you know, make sure that the, the training is effective uh, or make sure we're covering the right, the right topic areas. Or, you know, if you're, if you are a generalist in a corporate legal department or even a compliance department, you might not necessarily have, you know, know the ins and outs of the, the CFPB uh, mandate and the regulations. And so, um, you know, it's helpful sometimes to, to go to, to a firm like, like ours and, and we can provide, you know, the specific details uh, that employees need to be trained on. I'd like to change the focus, if I could, maybe to your experience over the past year in terms of any investigations you uh, either led or been involved with at the firm. Did the pandemic change the way you you did investigations? Obviously, uh, you didn't travel overseas, or at least I hope you didn't. Uh, and if you did, please don't tell me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, how did you find the experience of the pandemic from the kind of day-to-day work that a white-collar practitioner does over the past year? It's really interesting. I, I was talking with some colleagues about this recently. You know, I think when the when the pandemic first started, we all just held our breath and waited. You know, I, I, we had a bunch of investigations that we just said, "Hey, let's let's hold off." Uh, everybody, everybody, I think uh, had that uh, you know blissful blissful ignorance that you know in four weeks we'll be back in the office and and back to normal. And it, it probably took a couple months, I think, on our side to say, okay, we got to come up with another solution because we can't just – some of these things are time-sensitive. Even if they're not time-sensitive, it's now clear that this is not ending right away, and so we have to find a way to move forward. And so as you said, you know, we you come up with solutions. We came up with uh, – you know, you, you do the, the Zoom interviews or whatever platform is, is going to work best. And I, I think for the most part, uh, it, it worked well. Uh, you know, sharing documents wasn't as seamless as it would be in person. It, it's, I think, much more difficult to establish a rapport with a witness you're interviewing over video uh, to, to kind of test credibility. It's much more difficult. Uh, I think there's a more of a, of a fatigue factor doing video interviews. Um, you know, I, I, pre-pandemic, I've done six, eight-hour interviews um, you know, with breaks, obviously, and, and finished and, you know, it's, it's a long day, but, but been fine. I, you know, when you hit the two hour mark over video, you really notice the witness kind of eyes start to wander. It's, it's, it's really, there's a fatigue involved that that's a little bit different. Um, and so all, all of that is, is a, is a challenge. I also think, you know, often one of the advantages of being on site is the potential for, sort of the side conversations, right? During a break, what a witness might say or what, you know, somebody else at the company might say to sort of help you along and you miss all of that. Uh, at the same time, and as I was discussing recently with colleagues, there have been some advantages to it. Um, obviously not not traveling is an advantage to, to my, my wife and my family, but uh, just, just in terms of um, being able to sequence the, the interviews in exactly the way you want to, uh, where you're not constrained by geography. So if you have a, an investigation that's covering maybe multiple locations, right? It, 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 in order for to do it efficiently, we would go site by site, kind of cover everybody at each site. Uh, with when you're doing it remotely, you can sort of jump around. So maybe it makes sense to to first speak to a salesperson in location X, and then a manager in location Y, and, and move back and forth. That was nice. 
Uh, also, follow-up interviews is much simpler, right? Rather than having to get back on a plane and go back to the location to follow up, it, it's, it's much easier to sort of jump on another call. Uh, so, you know, there, there's some pluses and minuses there. Other parts of investigations, as you might expect, Tom, sort of stayed very similar. The, the, for the most part, this is not universally true, but uh, for the most part, that you know, the, the background research that we often do as part of an investigation was, was desktop-type research anyway. So that, that stayed the same. Uh, the document review, again, for the most part, uh, stayed the same. It, that, that Depending on blocking statutes and other data privacy concerns, that has, has caused some challenges <clears throat> where people had to be on site to, to review documents. But we've, we've mostly found our way, uh, our way around that. Um, I, I think – I know that we are – anxious as a group to to get back on the ground to do investigations and counseling frankly there's there's something missing uh not having sort of the personal interaction but uh one of the the positives coming out of this is uh, being able to add in virtual interviews as just an investigative tool mixed in with the in-person interviews i think it's going to be really useful going forward I, i i really do i think whether that's you know doing a video scope, scoping interviews uh, to start an investigation, or as I mentioned, follow up interviews, right? Maybe you go on site, and if there's follow ups, you can do them by video. Kind of adding that in, into the investigation mix, uh, I think is going to help with efficiencies. It's going it, to it's help with effectiveness, uh, and also ultimately, uh, I think, end up lead to to more thorough investigations. Do you find, or that's not the right phrase. Do you, uh, is there really this, um, the dam about to burst basically for, uh, investigations that need to be done, uh, in person or, or interviews in person that you've had to hold off on in the last year so that when it's safe to travel internationally, or at least to some countries, uh, the team, you and the team are really going to be off to the races again. Um, I, I think at least uh, for us and my team, we have managed now, uh, we've, we've stopped holding our breath and have managed to do most of the investigative work that we've had to do in this environment. Uh, so we don't have a huge backlog of the truly sensitive interviews that we feel like we have to be in person for. Um, having said that, I, I do expect, uh, and I've, I've talked to some, some overseas clients about this, that there have been some investigations that clients have have because they couldn't bring in outside counsel to really do it and to travel have been trying to manage on their own uh maybe with with just you know supervision or advice from counsel where we're going to get to a point probably coming up as soon as as soon as travel restrictions ease uh there's going to be there's going to be a bit of burst of activity to say hey you know what as a as a nail in the coffin to this investigation we really need you to meet with with person x or we really need you to go and visit this office just so we can put this issue to bed or, or get your sign off before we put this investigation to bed. And I think there'll probably be a, a time sensitivity to those. So we are, you know, as things open up kind of country by country, uh, expecting sort of, I guess, multiple bursts of activity. But I think we're fortunate enough, at least where we are, to have have accomplished a lot of what we needed to accomplish already in this virtual setting. I'd like to change the focus to the board of directors because uh, one of the concepts, maybe uh, two concepts coming out of the pandemic. The first was 
One of the most prescient observations I heard was by a gentleman from the United Kingdom who said, we used to have disaster recovery, then we moved to business continuity, now we have business as usual. And when you overlay that with uh, uh, a newer, different set of risks that arose during the pandemic, social justice, diversity and inclusion, um, uh, state election, voter suppression laws, just whatever you might name, want to name it, uh, in, ter- in, co- in the context of ESG and the prior administration was pretty antithetical to ESG. But when I s- see and hear ESG, what I see and hear, Mike, is it's just risk. And it's a variety of risks. It can be anti-corruption risk. It can be trade sanction risk. It can be the risk of the diversity of your workforce. Um, and I was wondering, are you starting to have those discussions with boards about a, either a broader set of risks or it's really just risk? And how do you assess it and then manage it? It's a, it's a great question. Uh, and it, it has changed so much over the last 13 months. And, and I'll, I'll, I will... Uh, expand board discussions to include sort of uh, senior executive discussions because it, it, it's very similar. Uh, you know, when the 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 amount of uh, I would say uh, pressure and, and tension and worry uh, from from senior executives and boards uh, is unusual in, right now, given where we are with the economy. Right, many companies are doing really well, and so typically when that happens, uh, there, a lot of the, you know, everybody's happy-go-lucky uh, in the in the executive room, the C-suite. But we're seeing a lot of worry uh, about all of these issues that you've just mentioned. It seems like there's just more and more risk everywhere you turn, whether it's ESG risk, uh, corruption risk. Part of the worry comes from just not knowing what's coming next. I, I think uh, part of it is. There's a sense, even if, even if as the CEO, you were never going on the ground to look at corruption issues, et cetera, et cetera. The fact that, that we just people have been, been remote and not been able to sort of get out and sort of be with employees, it creates a lot of unknowns and a lot of uneasiness about what's actually happening. So we're, we're sort of seeing that a lot from, from clients. Uh, we, we, it, it, it seems like there's an uptick in requests for, um, presentations on what are what are the risks because they seem to be constantly changing esg corruption risks how is it how is it going to be affected by the new administration there's just you know you you've you when you lay on top of it's just issue on top of issue right you've got the pandemic which is ongoing and and the economic uncertainty that comes with that you have all of the social uh unrest you have the change of administration all of these things uh laid together I've really it's it's become very hard to define what what companies' risks are and to really hone in on where they should be focused. And I think that's what we're seeing a lot from from senior management and boards is help us get a better understanding of where our risks are and how, how do we address them. Look, we focused uh, most of this podcast on the domestic scene, uh, both regulatory, uh, legal, and oversight. But I'd now like to uh, change your fo- our focus a little bit to international. Are there any countries or regions that you and your team are watching more carefully or that you're getting more questions on? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, I think we're always on the lookout for the next Brazil, right? You know, t- 10 years ago, actually, it might be longer than that, than that now. 
the idea that that Brazil would have become a hub of anti-corruption uh, um, activity and enforcement, including by the Brazilians themselves, uh, just didn't seem that lucky. And so, where's the next spot going to be? Um, what, one place we're looking is China. Uh, you know, China for years now has had their their anti-corruption push, and it, that's really focused on Chinese officials. Um, there have been plenty of opportunities for China to prosecute multinationals for activity in China. As a matter of fact, it, it's surprising it hasn't happened yet because, it, you know, you've got these these agreements, the DPAs, NPAs uh, in the U.S. where companies have basically admitted to, to bribing um, Chinese officials. So you would think it would be easy for China to take action. They haven't yet. There's, I think, the, the reasons for that are probably incredibly complicated. It could cover four or five other podca- podcasts. But um, one of the areas we're really keeping an eye on is as the sort of economic tension between China and the Western world, the U.S. in particular, continues to play out and, and the U.S. continues to focus in on enforcement against Chinese companies, where is going to be the counterpoint for China? And, and I think one of the, one of the pieces of low-hanging fruit is – anti-corruption enforcement against us and, and western companies for activity in china and so i, I think it's, it's really possible you could see that in the next year or two uh and then you know we're keeping an eye on latin america in general i think uh if, if we're looking for a candidate to be the next brazil uh it, it's it's latin america is a, a good place the the uh the international investment there is is pretty intense uh, and you've got places like Ecuador, Peru, and Chile uh, that you know seem to be politically set up in a place where um, there is political pressure to, to crack down on enforcement and an appetite uh, to do that in a way that that won't discourage uh, uh, investment in the country, uh, but will really sort of you know uh, enforce the rule of law there. So those are those are some really focus areas for us, China, and, and places in Latin America. Well, Mike, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but this has just been a fascinating exploration of uh, not only where we've been, but more importantly, where we may be going. So I look forward to uh, maybe hooking up with you this summer and uh, seeing what Q2 brought us. Yeah, it's it's, it's always fun. And, and I think uh, between now and then, uh, things will have changed again. So so it'll be, it'll be fun to talk in a few months. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report, a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. We have a great new show on the Compliance Podcast Network called Mo Forecast, which is a podcast of the law firm of Morrison and Forrester, hosted by James Kukios. Check that out on the Compliance Podcast Network. Also, in the month of April on The Compliance Life, I'm featuring Jonathan Kellerman, partner at Stone Turner. A fascinating career in healthcare compliance, culminating in the CCO chair at Allergan before he moved over to Stone Turn. So check out The Compliance Life on the Compliance Podcast Network. I hope you'll join me again next week for another episode of the award-winning FCPA Compliance Report. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.